Listener Production. Hi, it's Jan Fran here. You've probably heard the name Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes. She founded Theranos, a blood testing startup that was supposed to be revolutionary. In 2014, she was the world's youngest self made billionaire until she wasn't. By 2018, the company had collapsed. And in January last year, Elizabeth Holmes was convicted of fraud and sentenced to 11 years and three months in prison. Well, just hours ago, she arrived looking fairly relaxed, I must say, at the minimum security federal women's prison in Texas to begin serving that sentence. Today's been almost a decade in the making from when questions were first raised about Theranos in 2015. So why did it take so long to get here? And does this mean that the book is finally closed on one of Silicon Valley's biggest ever corporate collapses? I'm also very struck by how little remorse, no remorse she shows. You know, she says things like, oh, she's sorry about how it worked out. But that's different than saying, I am so sorry I defrauded people. She's nowhere close to that. Well, she's got 11 years to think about it. In just a bit, we're going to speak to someone with a close personal connection to Elizabeth Holmes, who almost worked with her and who was sus about Theranos from the very beginning. But before we get to that, today's headlines for May 31st, the last day of May, I'm joined by Tom Tilly. Hello. Well, the AFL's investigation into racism at the Hawthorne Football Club has led to an apology to the Indigenous players and their families. Um, This relates to the allegations that players were told to live separately from their families and that one player and his partner were allegedly pressured to terminate the pregnancy. So the investigation, despite the apology to the family, found no adverse findings against the Hawthorne coaches and staff who were involved. I think in the end, from where we were, I feel uh, as difficult and imperfect as it is, it's a situation that actually has has brought this thing to a head. That's the AFL chief, Gillan McLaughlin, there. Yeah, the AFL has said that there's been no payment to the six First Nations families involved. And it's important to note, while the families and the AFL have reached an agreement, um, the families haven't actually ruled out taking the Hawthorne Football Club itself to the courts Mm. or to the Australian Human Rights Commission. The AFL has been saying, Tom, for some time that it's going to introduce measures to make clubs more inclusive because... I'm sure you know it was a massive story um, mm. in 2021 when a review found that Collingwood uh, was guilty of systemic racism uh, and they pledged that they would be, you know, changing up the way that they did things. But I think what's interesting is that there are 18 teams across this league and 10% of AFL players identify as Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. Um, so that's a very sort of significant overrepresentation there given that there's a, mm. They're only 3% of the population. So a real reckoning, uh, not just for the AFL, but the individual clubs in the league as well. Yeah, well, it's a good thing that there's so many Indigenous players in the AFL. That That's a really positive thing. It sounds like there's still a lot of learning to do, though, about how to look after them properly. And Chris Dawson, that is the man convicted of murdering his wife, Lynette Dawson, in 1982, is now in court accused of having an unlawful sexual relationship with a 16-year-old student. Uh, so details have emerged in the hearing that his first interaction with her was to return a topless photo of her, which had been circulating around the school. Uh, the carnal knowledge charge, which Dawson does deny, uh, we should say is a historical offence, which... It requires prosecutors to prove the alleged sexual activity occurred while he was her teacher. That's the sticking point. Yeah, so this is a very interesting case. At least 10 former 
Students of the school are expected to give evidence uh, as it plays out over the next two weeks. And defamation action launched by former Liberal staffer Bruce Learman against Newslife Media has been discontinued. The two parties have reached an out-of-court settlement. So Learman was previously charged with the sexual assault of Brittany Higgins, but the trial was abandoned. Um, he has always maintained his innocence. Now, no damages were paid, but News has said that a contribution was made to his legal costs. Yeah, so they've paid um, some of his legal costs and also the two articles at the centre of the dispute with Bruce Learman, um, they remain online, but they have been updated with an editorial note which states that the charges against Learman were dropped and that News Corp does not suggest he was guilty of the charge. But interesting to note also, Jen, there's, there's no apology or correction to the original article. And Bruce Lehman mm. is still taking action against Network 10 and Lisa Wilkinson over a similar story. So it'll be really interesting to see if they settle that legal action as well. And the other interesting part of this story now is that Bruce Lehman has recorded a television interview with Channel 7, which will go to air on Sunday night. And an original story that we did right here on The Briefing has led to Natio, the skincare brand, removing PFAS from two of its products. Uh, so this, this whole thing began with an investigation into Forever Chemicals by our very own reporter Claire Weaver, which did PFAS testing in a lab. Natio is committed to reformulating both its Define Eye Pencil and its Define Eyebrow Pencil. You need a viable exposure route for a health risk to turn into a hazard. Eye pencils and this uh, eyeshadow palette, uh, which came back positive, could be absorbed via your tear ducts and, and through your skin. So that's Claire there, Claire Weaver, our reporter. Uh, PFAS chemicals, they've been linked to a range of serious health impacts. Uh, if you do want to listen to that investigation in full, do check out our episode. Uh, it aired April 21. It's called Synthetic Forever Chemicals Found in Popular Cosmetics Brands. And Crown Resorts um, has been slapped with a massive fine, $450 million. And this is following the historical breaches of money laundering and counter-terrorism financing laws at its casinos in Perth and Melbourne. So that's a big outcome there, Jan. Yeah. And in WA, uh, the Premier, well, the new Premier, is Deputy Roger Cook. He's stepping into Mark McGowan's role as well after McGowan resigned. And the other thing happening today is the State of Origin, which kicks off in Adelaide. So interesting to see Game 1 um, in South Australia, expecting 47,000 spectators there. So it should be a cracker. Yeah, not a small amount of people. All right, Tom, you're out of here. I'm up next talking Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. She's finally serving her sentence. Hi, it's JF here. Well before Theranos collapsed in 2018, well before it was even a billion-dollar success in 2014, back when it was a fledgling idea in 2006, the company's founder, Elizabeth Holmes, took a woman named Anne Coffsill out for lunch and tried to recruit her as a consultant. Now, Anne has a PhD in chemical engineering and she wasn't buying Holmes' claims. This idea that Theranos was developing machines that could test for all sorts of diseases using one drop of blood, it's too good to be true, thought Anne. And she was right. Anne Coffsill joins us on the show today. Anne, welcome to The Briefing. You have been following this case very closely. You were in that courtroom virtually every day during Elizabeth Holmes' trial in 2021. 
Why has this case mattered to you so much? Oh, it's just very interesting. I'm in the biotech industry. So me and many of my colleagues were always fascinated with it. One, just how they raised so much money when we um, didn't know what the technology was. And we also knew many people that worked there and that talked about just how secretive the company was. And it was always hard to figure out what they really had. So it just was a source of um, kind of interest and fascination. And then I just love the um, part of the story that it's kind of like the emperor's new clothes. How does how does somebody pull that off? You know, how does that work? So just interesting from that point of view too. Talk us through this last year because Holmes was actually convicted um, on fraud charges in January of 2022. Why has yeah. it taken this long to get her to prison? Yeah, you know, as a citizen, it is surprising, kind of shocking how long it takes. But my understanding is they did not want to sentence her until her co-conspirator had gone through his trial and gotten convicted or exonerated. My understanding is is because with co-conspirators, there's a chance that Elizabeth could have testified in the trial of Sonny Balwani. And in exchange for that testimony Mm might have been given a more lenient sentence. So they want to wait on this sentence. You know, in practice, I think that was really unlikely, but I think maybe the legal system wants to allow that possibility so it doesn't close it off. So many of the months were waiting for Sonny's trial to start and go through the process and get finished. Right. And for those listening who um, don't know who Sunny Balwani is, he was a former associate, former sort of top dog at Theranos, former romantic partner of Elizabeth Holmes. He was also convicted on charges of uh, fraud or conspiracy to commit fraud and was sentenced to 13 years. So a slightly tougher sentence than what Elizabeth got. From the moment that cracks started showing in Theranos and, and questions started being asked in 2015 to now, it's almost been two decades And there's been some real sort of twists and and turns with this trial. How would you go about reflecting on the trial that you've followed so closely and the events that have happened? The case did have a lot of uh, nuance and different aspects to it. And then the judge for sure wanted to make sure that all his decisions were airtight and could not be turned over on appeal. So bent over backwards to allow the defense to make their cases. And it seemed like no expense was spared by Elizabeth for the uh, defense attorney. So they turned over every single rock. So indeed, the wheels of justice have felt like they turned really slowly. But I think it's in the interest of having a conviction and sentence that sticks and does not get turned over easily. There's also two babies that were (gasps) not there prior to the trial that are now there. Yes. Is that incredible? Yeah. Those of us that are cynical are just, oh, is this the worst that somebody might have babies to help in their defense or prevent them from going to prison? It is incredible. I think she makes the case in uh, the media that, oh, you know, she was getting older in late 30s. So if she was ever going to have kids, it had to be now. But 
oh, I wish I could be a fly on the wall when she told her parents and defense attorney that she was having babies. Does she say, you know, hey, I've got a great idea for a defense. You know, maybe this will keep me out of jail. Or was she honest about it and saying, you know, I really want to have kids. I know I might go to jail. Will you all take care of them? No, it's it's hard to imagine having babies under this condition. So she had a, a baby boy in July of 2021. Um, her criminal trial, I believe, started in August of that year. And then mm-hmm. she had a baby girl, I believe it was in 2023, just recently this year. Has that added to any of the delays of, of the trial? Yes, certainly. That first baby delayed the start of the trial. The trial was supposed to start a month or two earlier but then got delayed because she was having a baby. And then I was at her sentencing, which I think was in November of 2022. And that's where she showed up. I estimated five or six months pregnant. You know, it was hard to tell. So people um, knew she was having a second baby then. And, you know, the cynics, people are so cynical. Some people even said to me, do you think that's a pillow <laughs> that she might even pretend to have a baby at her sentencing <laughs> to change the sentence? But it did delay her sentencing. You know, Sonny Balwani, her co-conspirator, got convicted later, but he had to go to jail earlier. And at the sentencing, the judge said that he would not ask Elizabeth to go to jail. I think it, the original date was end of March or was it end of April? And he said something enigmatic. He said, and I think you all know why I've chosen this later date. And that's all he said. Presumably it was because she was pregnant and he wanted to delay it. Mm. She did get some delay for sure out of the pregnancies. When you look back at this entire saga, you were sus on it from the beginning, and and we're talking the very beginning, before Theranos was even, uh, you know, hugely known to the public. How do you reflect Mm -hmm. on the way it's all panned out? You know, I think there were a lot of people in my situation and that knew about biotech uh, companies and blood testing. A lot, a lot of them were also suspicious. Part of Elizabeth's way she pulled this off, though, was to demand really strong secrecy from people and especially employees. I mean, just so much threat of lawsuit that just really scared just regular people, you know, that it made it hard for people to compare notes and really figure out what was going on. So people on the outside and plenty of venture capitalists thought, no, no, they weren't, were not going to invest in it. But um, part of the con, I think, is this demanding of secrecy so that people don't, compare notes and publicize what they think is going on. How are you feeling now that this day has finally come, I guess, that she's going to be walking into prison to start what is, you know, pending appeals, an 11-year sentence? No, I think it's right that she goes to jail. I think she really did commit fraud and put people's lives at risk and, you know, just willful ignorance of what the situation at her company was. So that feels right to me. 11 years feels long, I have to say. I kind of would have thought, not based on a legal reasoning, but just like, oh, how much should you go to jail for that crime? (laughs) You know, more like five years feels right. 
Of course, you got to feel bad for the babies, although, you know, Elizabeth brought it on them. Um, So I think like a lot of people, a little bittersweet. I'm also very struck by how little remorse, no remorse she shows. You know, she says things like, oh, she's sorry about how it worked out. But that's different than saying, I am so sorry I defrauded people. She's nowhere close to that. Where do you think this goes from here? Because there is an appeal pending, but the judge has ruled that she's got to start her prison sentence, even though that appeal is still in the works. What do you think happens here for Elizabeth? Yeah, I think the appeal is very unlikely. It did seem to me the judge was just very cautious, always giving the defense side, granting them what they asked. I would be just very surprised if there's any grounds for appeal. And I think one of the rulings that needed to occur over the last few months was that there was not a strong reason to think that appeal was very likely, which would have kept her out of jail during the appeal. So I think it's not likely that her appeals will be successful. And people also relying on legal experts say that you don't get much time off on these federal prison sentences at best like 15% of the sentence for good behavior. So I think she has to serve, you know, at least eight and a half to nine years. And every time I go and get a blood test, I think about Theranos quite a bit, more than I should, to be honest with you. And I think to myself, God, it was such a good idea. I wish that you could just give a drop of blood and test for so many diseases. As somebody who works in this industry, in biotech, you have a PhD in chemical engineering, how far away are we from that reality? Like, is it something that is maybe just around the corner or are we talking decades here? No, we're talking decades down the track. It was really a pipe dream. I I have worked in blood diagnostics, I know, and the thought of getting all those tests and a drop of blood is just too good to be true. And they were going to charge such low prices for it. It, No, it was, um, there needs to be a few inventions before that's going to work for us all. That was Anne Coff-Seal. She's a retired biotech executive painting a much clearer reality on where we are in terms of blood testing. Um, And it's a very different reality to the one that Elizabeth Holmes painted. Mm. It doesn't sound as good, but it's real. And, yeah, that matters. Listener.